0: Let yeah, us begin, okay. So the Pasha of Mayera, you have sheets? Every Chevy, have you got sheets? Yes, okay. The Pasha of Mayera is famed for the Arkada. It's famed for the three angels, at the beginning of the story of the destruction of Sodom and Amora. And I'm not going to speak about any of that today because I, I also look for a new subject for myself. So, I want to speak about Yishmael. Okay? And in order to know what I'm going to speak about, we have to read the Pesukim together, because our aim is to discover the truth, even, even if we are faced with real challenges in the verse. So, Abram was a hundred years old, Abram was a hundred years old, when Yitzchak was born. Sarah was amazed right? that, that she had a baby at the age of 90. And now we're getting to the piece that I want to discuss. The child is about two or three years old. And he's no longer feeling from his mother, And it would seem to have been the custom at the time to have a party when the the child can eat on its own, right? The child is going to start eating solids. So Yitzhak is around two or three years old. And Sarah suddenly sees Yishmael, who is described here as being the son of Hagar, the Egyptian woman, not the son of Abraham, even though he is the son of Abraham, she sees him metzacheik, messing around. Betome Abraham, and she turns to Abraham, and it seems to be very ruthless, she says, Gareish hazot Get rid of this maidservant and her son, because this child, meaning meaning Ishmael, this slave child, will not inherit with Yitzchak. No, Abraham was very upset. An incredible situation. Remember last week I discussed the fact this is Abraham and Sarah, right? Who spend their lives being the Karev people. And Sarah has told Abram to kick Yishmael out of the family. Et amaz, or gareish. Throw him out. And Abraham isn't happy. And if you read between the lines, and you don't need to read very hard between the lines, it's very, very clear <coughs> here that they're arguing about this. Because God intervenes. God never intervenes again. God doesn't intervene with Esau and Yaakov. God doesn't intervene with Yosef and his brothers. But God intervenes here, and He says to Avram, "Call Hashem, Tomas, Sarash, Mabakola... She's right, you have to do what she says. And don't worry, Ishmael will be okay. Now, we we have to qualify everything here. When we're learning Bereshit, and we want to try and understand Shat in Bereshit, we, we have to take into account that our ability to do so is extremely limited. Because none of us were born in an Arab family. None of us lived in that kind of culture. And none of us have any idea about the dynamics going on here. We are walking into these sugyot blind. It would be a terrible mistake to start comparing an Abrahamic family to a family in New York, New Jersey, Melbourne, or Sydney, or Johannesburg, or Toronto, anywhere, Switzerland, Austria, wherever you're from. You can't possibly compare. We have no idea of what the dynamics are here. And we're trying to understand the Torah. We're trying to understand what's going on. Sarah is asking Abram, telling Abram, to throw the kid out into the desert. He might die. He almost did die. Into the desert. Now remember as well, just so that we see the whole picture of the story, Ishmael's going to be back in the next period. Because according to Chazal and Rashi, The two men that accompanied Abraham and Yitzhak to the Akedah were Eliezer and Ishmael. Which means Ishmael comes back. But he comes back with a different title. that's one thing we have to take into account. We've got a few things to take into account. We're going to look at two Perushim here. And then at Rav Meidan. I don't think we'll have time for the Ygrot Moshe. So I want to see the other Rav Meidan. First look at at Rav Hirsch. I don't need to repeat the question of the above. but But first look at Rav Hirsch. And you should know that Rav Hirsch is, is a very liberal paper, he's a very nineteenth century, but he's pretty modern. So if he says certain things and he's very, very chinuch aware, okay, so if he's going to and, and also something else you should know is that our our commentators don't have a problem to indict or critique our, our, our forefathers. Rambam critiqued Sarah in Lech Lecha, and Abram in Lech Lecha, he critiqued Sarah at the beginning of Vayera, and Rav Hirsch critiques Yitzhak and Rivka, in the way they brought up Yaakov and Esau, so if they actually defend, it means that there's a, there, there, is a, there is a reason to defend. Rav Hirsch says as follows, Kan ba you see where it says Rashar Hirsch, that's Rav Hirsch, so Kanba ba Tior of Yosho Ishmael. We have to, we're trying to understand who Yishmael was. We're going to have to listen to Rav Hirsch, but we're going to have to listen to Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky afterwards because Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky is going to add a facet here that Rav Hirsch totally ignores. Okay, but but we'll we'll start with Rav Hirsch. We'll go chronologically. Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky is twentieth century. Rav Hirsch is nineteenth century. So, your of Yishmael, There are two facets to Yishmael that we have to see. His mother is from the family of Cham, right? Cham, shame, Cham, and Yafet. His mother is Egyptian. She comes from Cham. But at the same time, he was born to Avram. He's a son of shame. Sarah, hen he has my... Now, let's take the whole story. How did Yishmael even come about in the first place? It was Sarah's initiative when she gave Hagar... To Abraham, she said, Take her, I can't have children. She will be my representation, and the child that you have from her will be like my child. So it was Sarah who brought Hagar into the picture. It's not like Abraham came home with Hagar one day. Sarah brought Hagar into the picture. (laughs) It was her intention that if there are two types of families involved in the family of Khan and the family of shame that through Sarah's medium of being the chanechet, she would influence Yishmael to be a a good, strong boy. Okay, so she thought that she could over, override any. Egyptian influence that Hagar may have on the child. Sarara of But Sarah sees as Ishmael gets older. Again, to tell you how old is Ishmael when Abraham is a hundred? Ishmael is thirteen. Okay? When Ishmael is thrown out of his house, Yizhak was three, Ishmael was about seventy. By the way, the exact same age that Yosef was when Yosef was thrown out of his house. I'll come back to that afterwards. Yishmael, according to Rav Hirsch, was not able to absorb many of the ideas of, of Abraham. Just a bit. And he actually rebelled against them. We're going to see in the MS of Yaakov a very different picture. Or people like Ridicule, he totally turned into frivolity. He made a whole joke of Abraham's campaign, the ideology of Abraham, the beliefs of Abraham. So he can't be the Yorish. Abraham Avina, we're not talking about the family, we're talking about the idea, the idea which we call Judaism. Ishmael cannot continue Judaism because he does not believe it, he thinks it's a joke. Gareish says Rav Lo harcha He's not being suspended, distanced from the family, he's being disowned. Nituk, he's being disowned from the family. Like an Isha Grusha isha, a woman who's divorced from her husband, she doesn't have a connection with her husband anymore. It's finished, right? The connection is over. Garesh, okay. It sounds like a merciless act by Sarah. But the situation totally justifies it the Abraham family the family that we're interested in we're not playing family fortunes when we're reading the Torah we're talking about the development of the Jewish people the development of an idea a theology a belief it has to be continued Sarah's biggest worry is that when they die Yishmael is going to take over and when Ishmael takes over, the whole idea has gone down the drain. Everything they ever worked for. The whole belief of the Jewish people is finished because Ishmael isn't interested. Sarah has to make sure that the Yoresh is going to be the Yoresh. We're not talking about money, that the Yoresh is going to be Yishak and not Ishmael. She has to make sure that, technically speaking, Ishmael can't do this. Where does this come up again? It comes up in the next generation. We're going to read it right in the beginning of the story of Toldot of Yaakov and Esav, Rivka ohevet Yaakov and yisakov hevet Esav, and Yisak's belief was that Yaakov and Esav could work together. He believed that he believed there could be a partnership. Esav was a man of the field; he was a man go out and make the money, and Yaakov would be in the yeshiva, and they would come together. This is a brilliant combination of what we will call later Yisachan Zevulun. We're going to call that later Yisachan Zevulun. And that's what Yitzchak wants. And Rivka says to Yaakov, no. She says to Yitzchak, no. Esav is a liar. He's a cheat. He's deceitful. He's a cheat. He says one thing and does something else. She's his mother. She's his mother. He's not a maid. It's not Hagar's son. It's her son, Esav. Rav Hirsch does something spectacular in told Tolgo. Just take a, a time out for the moment. For the, just listen to this. We know the story, right? We know the story that Yaakov dresses up as Asav and gets the brach. We know that story, right? Rav Hirsch asked the most incredible question on that story. Um, and you kick yourself that you didn't ask that question. And then you realize you're not Rav Hirsch. That's why you did not. But the question's obvious. If you want to trick someone, if you want to cheat, and a lot of people know how to cheat and trick, right? The last thing you want to do is get caught. It's the 11th commandment, right? Don't get caught. You don't want to get caught. That's the biggest problem, is getting caught. That's stupid. If you're going to do something wrong, don't get caught. So Rav Hirsch asked the question, of gets Yaakov to dress up as Esav, what a ridiculous idea. She was going to get caught straight away. Because Esav was going to walk through the door 10 minutes later. So what's the point? It's a bracha. It's not stealing money. Yaakov, Yisraq yeah, will realize what it is and give the bracha back to ASA. What a ridiculous scheme. You're dressing up Yaakov as Esau Asav, and ASA's going to walk in the door ten minutes later. It's a trick that Yisraq's going to find out about five minutes later. What's the point? What's the point of a trick? It doesn't work. Mele, if you sign in for night, said you go missing and no one knows that you signed in, Mele, you tricked everyone except for yourself. You're the biggest fool. Maybe you did that, you got away with it because Nielsen didn't find out, as if it really important whether Nielsen finds out or not. Maybe you did that, but to dress someone up as someone else when, when he discovers it a few minutes later, what's, what's the point? This is what Rav Hirsch says, it's kabada. you have to hold, hold yourself so you don't fall over. It, it's incredible what Rav Hirsch says. Rav Hirsch says, Rivka was arguing with Yitzchak all of the time. She was telling him, Esau, is a cheat. He's tricking you. And Yitzchak says, what are you talking about? I'm Yitzchak. Yeah, okay, they're not going to trick me. He can't trick me. So what does she do? She tricks him using Yaakov. And the whole point was to prove to him, you think you can't be tricked? Even Yaakov can trick you. Even a Shiva boy can trick you. You think Esau can The whole, The whole episode she did, says Ravash, was to prove to him that he could be tricked. She wanted to be caught. She wanted to be found out. He said, Esau's a fraud. And Yitzhak didn't believe it. Avram didn't believe it either. He didn't believe that Ishmael was a fraud. And the mother knows more than the father. That's why. All of you know that. I ask you if you're allowed to do something. If you say your father says yes and your mother says no, we know that means no. Your father has observance. Status. He doesn't have he can't make decisions, right? Your mum makes the decisions. You have to you know that, right? You know that. That you you can get your dad to say yes about anything. You put your lovely daughter face on, you cry a little bit, and your dad says yes. Hundreds of times my kids have walked into the house, they ask for chocolate, I give them chocolate. My wife walks in, she says, Why are they eating chocolate? So I said, Well they, they asked for chocolate. She said, Yeah, but they're eating supper now. So I don't know, they asked. She says, You run a school, like what the, Imagine you're choke chocolate, and my kid's like, she <laughs> got away with it, right? Because she went to Abba. Abba's got no status, right? Imma so says, Emma knows, because Emma knows you. Emma knows every face you make. She knows every in and out that you make, and it's the same here. Sarah knows, Yishmael. Go over the page. Sarah knows Yishmael. Yishmael, he's got to go out the house, he's going to take over this about mother and father. It's about the belief. It's about our belief. It's about Judaism. People have to see that, that they, are, they don't have the same hierarchical status that, that Yitzchak has. Yitzchak is different. After that, after you've differentiated between them and you have defined who they are, then you can bring back Yishmael. Yishmael she does come back. but but not as his son, as the son of his slave. She keeps it, you have to, he has to be defined, people have to know, it's not Yitzchak and Yishmael on the same level, Yishmael is on a different level, he's on a lower level, no one should ever have a Havamina that Yishmael is going to take the Yerusha. That wasn't what she thought at the beginning, Sarah. Her thought was at the beginning that Ishmael could do it. We spoke about it last week. What is the definition of a Jew? A Jew is not defined by the family, right? Because Abraham is is walking around converting people. Not all the children of Abraham are Jewish. And not all the children of Yitzhak are Jewish. All the children of Yaakov are Jewish. And from then on, it doesn't matter what you believe, if you're born a Jew, you're a Jew. But before then, it's to do with the belief. She has proven herself not worthy, and therefore, he has to be removed from the family. So that's the picture that the Emmet Liakov paints. And the picture that the Emmet Liakov paints is not a good picture. Rav Hirsch paints, sorry. Now let's go to the Emmet Lyakob. Now the Emmet Lyakob is going to pick a different picture to what Rav Hirsch... Rav Hirsch is talking about a son who could have been something, but he wasn't. It didn't work out that way. He didn't fulfill what Sarah had hoped would be, and therefore he has to be removed. The Emmet Lyakob helps us a bit more because the Emmet Lyakob gives us a bit of background that we don't have because we don't live in that kind of time and in that culture. Have a look at the Emmet Lyakob. Rav Yarkov Kamineski. It's quite shocking that Sarah speaks the way that she does. He's a hundred years old. The first question Rav Yaakov Kamenetzky has is, Abraham's not even near the age of death. He doesn't die for another 87 years. So why does Abraham have to start sorting out his household at this stage of his life? Why does he have to start worrying about who's going to inherit him at this stage of his life? He's already worried about who's going to continue the idea, who's going to carry on the idea. It's very difficult in life to differentiate between real belief and ego. I had a, a great example in my yeshiva. And many yeshivas break up this way because of ego. One of our yeshiva, Abba Mital, say, Before, when he turned 80, he decided that uh, he didn't want, he, he spent his whole life building the yeshiva. He built it with his own two hands, and with Abba and his partner. And he didn't want to die without knowing that there was a future. So he, uh, he set up a committee to find someone to take over for him. And that's what the committee did. And while he was still alive, he made sure that the people who were going to take over for him were running the issue. Why? Because he understood that the idea was greater than the person. A person who, who runs a program in a way that it can't live without him, he's not really looking out for the program, he's looking out for himself. It's an ego trip. You really care about everything you, you have in place, and a place can run without you, right? So the place can work without you, because you care more about the place than you do about yourself. So Sarah is totally, totally focused on her belief, and right? she's worried already. Is it like, I Abram mean, is, in, in our terms, he's about 55, right? He's 100, but in, 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 in biological terms of those times, he's it's, it's, it's mid-age, I have another question. what's so special that Sarah wanted to throw Ishmael out after Yitzhak stopped feeding? what actually happened now that made a difference for Sarah? And now he's going to explain about the Emet Mavuaba Midrash. One Midrash says that when Yishak was born, Yishmael already had derogatory things to say. You are fools. I'm the firstborn and I take double. Not him, not this little baby. Then you came, so why did you want to throw him out straight away? And look at this fascinating explanation by the Emmet Yakov, which gives us insight into what's going on in the household of Abram, Sarah, and Hagar. The story goes like this, just so you understand the friction in the family and what's going on. We have seen in certain places, I can prove this from Tanakh, says Rabbi Yakov. When a man was married to more than two women, each woman had her own tent. Okay, so you have Ohel Sarah and Ohel Hagar. They have their own tent. So when Yitzhak was born (coughs) and he had his Brit... He moved into Sarah's tent. He was in Sarah's tent with his mother. Because his mother's feeding him and he needs to be next to his mother. But Ishmael was 13. Ishmael was 13 when Yitzhak was born. Ishmael was already living in Avram's tent. He wasn't living with his mother anymore. He was living in Abram's tent. But when he was three years old, he was also by Hagar. But Ishmael thirteen now. Ishmael in Abram's tent. So for the last ten years, Ishmael has been living with Abram who is was meant to be educated from his school. He's with Aram all the time. When Aram's making food, it's, it's Yishmael who helps him make the food for the angels. You understand what's going on now. The Yitzchak, as he finishes weaning with Sarah, is about to move into the tent with. Ishmael, no way. They're not rooming together, these two. There's no way they're not rooming together. Because Yitzhak had finished feeding from his mother, he was about to move into his father's tent. And that's a big party, that's why he had the big party, right? Because Yitzhak, it's like what oh, we do for a mitzvah at three years old, what we do from a mitzvah, he's moving into his father's tent, it's a big deal, that's why he did a mitzvah. So he brings an example of Now she sees the friction. Ladies, what's the friction? How many of you, just show me your hands, how many of you are older than one of your siblings? How many of you were the first born in your family? And you had a sibling came about two years after? So I don't know whether you remember this, but let me tell you what happened by us. What happened by us was we had our Michali, who's now 30, Baruch Hashem, uh, but, but uh, we had our Michali, and she was a princess, right? <coughs> she was the grandchild, the only grandchild to my parents. My, my parents already had grandchildren. And she was a princess. She got everything Marx and Spencer's made, everything that, in pink that existed in the world. She was queen. She was the center of attention. She was everything. And then came along Yitzhak. Now, before Yitzhak came along, my, my wife looked a bit pregnant. And so, what did we do? We sat down with Michali with books about a bear who is bear mother is also going to have a baby. And we said, she's got a little bear in her tummy. And one day the bear's going to, and we're going to build the cot together. And we spoke about it with her, and she said, yeah, yeah, that's great. That, that sounds great. And it's all very exciting. And then one day, mommy, Ima, goes to the hospital. And Michali has left her home with Abba. Which means that she wears different colour socks and she eats pizza all the time, and it's all a bit fun, but a bit of a balagang, because Abba doesn't know how to run a house. And uh, then we're going to go to the hospital to see Emma and the baby, and the baby is still a very, a very uh, dissociated with the older child. So we get to the hospital to see the baby, and uh, this isn't good at all, thinks Michali, because the baby is cuddling up to my Emma, and who the hell are you? He's my imma and what are you doing with my imma? That's the baby we spoke about. No, no, we didn't speak about this Dad. This wasn't part of the contract. No one mentioned that baby taking my mother to hospital and kidnapping her and cuddling her when I should be cuddling her. How dare she? And worse than that, the baby's going to have a brisk. It's a baby boy. This is on video. Comes the eighth day, there's a brisk. I have it recorded. Our Michalim with 101 fever falling apart at the priest. Sick. Straight after the priest on a Friday morning, we run with her to the doctor. The doctor said, Nothing wrong with her. Psychosomatic. She made herself sick. Did nothing wrong with her. Psychosomatic. Israeli you know, really doctor. Nothing wrong with her. Good doctor, though. Psychosomatic. I had a friend who had the same situation, and one day he found their baby in the bin. The older child picked the baby up and put it in the bin, and stood there saying, bye-bye, baby. Right. So I asked once, I was discussing this with a psychologist, just so that you understand, I'm, I'm sure you do, this, your man, but no. Or what about the time when one of the children poured cold water on the top of the baby? I stood there going, Oh! Oh, baby's wet! So my wife got the water and poured it onto her and said, Oh, you're wet too! Everyone's wet! So I asked the psychologist, the psychologist said to me, I want you to understand. I want you to understand what's going on. I'm not saying this is Torah, but it certainly resonated with me. He said to me, imagine you're a happily married man, no, because you do more with the baby, right? Because you tell the baby, you tell the older baby, ridiculous things. The, the baby bought you a present. So they'll take the present, right? Because it's a free present. They like presents. But they know the baby didn't buy the present because the baby can't talk, walk, or do anything, can't even eat. So how in the hell did it he go to a shop and give money and buy the present? But mum and dad said it's a present from a baby. I'll take it. I'll, I'll take it. I'll take the present. So so he told me like this. He said, Imagine a happy, happily married man. And one day you come home and you knock on the door and you've got a young lady on your arm and you say to your wife, She's coming to live with us! And she loves you and she brought you a present. And imagine how your wife would react to such a scenario. It's pretty understandable how she would react. That's what's going on in the child's mind. Now, take this story to Avram and Yishmael and Yitzhak. Yishmael was Avraham's prodigy. He was Avram's prodigy. He had Brit Mila when he was 13 years old. It's not Starma Midrash at the beginning of Pericapet, the Russian quotes. He was Avram's prodigy. He did Brit Mila at the age of 13. At the age of 13, without anaesthetic. He was he Abraham was, Avinu's prodigy. He was carrying on. Who the hell is this? He's eight days old and I'm being pushed out of the family? How would you react? You spend your whole life thinking you were going to be... You were going to be it. You were it. And suddenly someone says, excuse me, you were it until he came along. But now, he is the Prince Regent. He is taking over. That's exactly what Rashi is explaining at the beginning of Perrin Kavbe. That argument... The Ishmael and, and Yitzchak have, when Ishmael says, Yeah, nothing, you had to bring me a when you're eight days old, you do gonna know what you did. I was thirteen. I made a commitment to our coach Baruch, I was thirteen. And then Ishmael, and then Yitzhakam says, I will give up my life now, and that leads us into the Al I understand the friction that's going on here. Ishmael thought he was it. He thought he was gonna be carrying on the idea. How does he react? Oh, so he says, "So well, if he said, I'm gonna go, you imagine it so he you're going to put Yisrael now, after three years, Yishmael has been hearing about Yisrael, Yisrael, Yisrael. Now I'm going to put Yisrael in a tent with Ishmael. Ishmael hates him. Ishmael hates him. Who is this coming into my tent? I've been living with my father for 13 years in my father's tent. And this little kid, two years old, he's 17, remember. Now she's worried. Now Sarah's worried. They can't be in the same tent together. These two boys, they can't be in the same tent together. Until now, Yitzhak's been in the tent. She's been busy, totally focused on this baby she waited for for 90 years. So she's not been paying attention to Yishmael, but now again, now I'm looking. I want to see who's with him in a room, right? I want to see who you're sharing with. I want to see what they're talking about. There's like, no way. There's no way and they can be together. They can't be together. Ladies, listen very, very carefully. I have no, I, honestly, even though uh, Rabbi Bailey has, a, I need you to pay attention. I have no idea how Rabbi Bailey teaches this part of Brazil. But I, I have my own ideas. So, watch this pattern and understand safe vibration. There is Yitzchak and Yishmael and Yishmael is kicked out. There is Yaakov and Esav, and Esav is kicked out. There is Yosef and his brothers, and Yosef is kicked out. If you want to understand the end of Sefer Bereshit, you have to understand the beginning. I am 100% sure that the brothers of Yosef identified Yosef as Yishmael or Esav, And they threw Yosef out of the house in the same way that Sarah threw Yishmael out of the house and that Rivka threw Esau out of the house. Because they saw Yosef as a bad influence. Yosef was 17, Yishmael was 17. Yosef used to tell stories, Esau used to tell stories. And the proof of of the whole story of Yosef and the brothers is that when the brothers throw Yosef out, they don't carry on fighting between each other. There's no ego power battle between the brothers, as soon as Yosef is out the picture, the brothers carry on as normal. They sat down to eat together. There's no more struggle. Why? Because there's no power struggle taking place at all. They have identified Yosef as being a problem, and therefore they have removed Yosef in exactly the same way that Sarah removed Ishmael. What's the difference? What's the difference in the whole story? Why are they wrong? and Sarah is right. Who is missing in the story of Yosef? The mother is missing. Rachel is dead. The mother is missing. yesterday, Mama Rachel, on yesterday, Rachel Rachel If Rachel had been alive, it would never have happened. Yosef wouldn't have behaved the way he behaved. Definitions would have been made. The brothers would have understood that Yosef wasn't Esau. Yosef wasn't Ishmael. But she was dead. She wasn't there. Yaakov the was a father, he wasn't the mother. The dynamics, the brothers were simply following the same pattern that you see with Ishmael and Asa. It always amazes me how people always come on the brothers and Yosef, the brothers and Yosef, but, but Sarah did the same thing. Sarah did the same thing, she threw out Yeshua because he was a bad influence, the brothers thought Yosef was telling lies about them, he was damaging the unity of the family, they threw him out as as part of, he cannot be part of his family, I'll tell you even more than that, the big question everyone asks about Yosef at the end of creation, is why didn't he tell his father where he was, he was sitting in Egypt for 20 years, he couldn't have written a letter, he was prime minister, he couldn't have sent a telegram to his father saying, I'm, I'm, I'm okay, I'm in Egypt. Why didn't he So some of our rabbis tell us that Yosef believed that his father sent his brothers to throw him out. He had no idea his father wasn't involved until later on when Binyamin told him. He had no idea. You have to look at this whole book of Paration and the whole story in the book of Paration is a very, very structured story where phenomena are repeating themselves correctly or incorrectly. And what we have here is that Sarah sees that Yishmael, and is much more perceptive than the brothers, they're subjectively involved in this struggle with Moshe, with Yosef, but, but Sarah sees Yishmael cannot be in the house. With, uh, with, with, uh, why now? Because now he's moving in. This is what the Emerson Alko gives us, right? He's moving in to the tent together. Yitzhak's going to be in the same room as Yishmael. I can't have them together. I can't have them together. It's a bad influence. It's a bad influence. Next paragraph, the the son So he, he goes into a long deal here that they had this halachic almost discussion of how to define Yishmael. Avram did not yet define himself as Jewish, which meant the son went after the father. Which means the son is Avram's son. But Sarah is of the opinion that they are already Jewish, and means the son goes after the mother, which means Ishmael is not Jewish. He's not part of the family. He goes into a discussion there uh, uh, about uh, about a debate that was going on. Where is Ishmael's place? What we have gained from um, the uh, the Yaakov, however, is 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 insight into what's going on. Why beyond he Gamel, beyond he Gamel, and three don't take three years old as being uh, as being a little baby. You know, we're going to learn at the end of Vayera. Sarah was three years old at the beginning of Chayyid Sarah. Sarah was three years old when she came to give give water to the camels. And people said, What are you talking about? Since when does a three year old give water to camels? So my eldest daughter was in in school and uh, the teacher was talking about this. And then an Ethiopian girl put her hand up and said, Yeah, I used to do that in our village. When I was three, my job was to bring water to the camels. So it just goes to show you what Pshat is, right? We don't do that in teenage or Johannesburg, but they do do it in Ethiopia, which is much more similar to the desert that, that our forefathers were living in. So, so Rivka, when she was three years old, was feeding the camels, so Yitzhak, when he's three years old, it's like his permitsva. And if he can't move into Yishwael, he can't move into that tent. So Sarah is not, she's not looking at the family per se. She's looking at the Jewish idea. We're going to see in Parshat Toldot the digging of the wells, the Isaac wells. When we're talking about this family, we're not talking about family fortunes and family dynamics. We're talking about the beginning of the Jewish people. The beginning of a Jewish idea. And, and tough decisions have to be made. Go over the page to Rav Meidan. He asks a question: Is is Sarah's grisha, Is Sarah's tricha musarit? Is it ethical to throw a kid out? Is, it, is that ethical? And, and remember, this isn't just a debate between Abraham and Sarah. God tells Abraham, "You do what Sarah says." God puts a khatima on Abraham's actions. God says, "You do, you do what Abraham says." Why doesn't he look after them? Why doesn't he look after Ishmael and Hakam? He threw them out to the wilderness. It's hot out there. People are thirsty. The only justification for what Sarah does is the Torah says that Ishmael was met Sachet. Messing around. What, what does it mean, messing around? This messing around that damns Ishmael into exile. He was messing around. And that's a justification for Ishmael to be thrown. What, what's wrong with him? So, someone who. Metzachek uh, in Hebrew means they're, they're making fun of so let's go back to the story we just told. let's imagine what's going on in Aram's house when Yitzhak is born for 14, 14 years is a long time. Yishmael was the Yoresha answer right he's taking over and then out of the blue, this little baby comes along and only takes away all of, all of all of the attention. In one minute, the inheritor becomes a slave. Yishmael becomes a slave of this little baby. So what a revolution, take what what's going on what's going on in Ishmael's mind? You can imagine that the Ishmael would, would, would want to kill the baby, right? Wanna kill the baby, just suffocate the baby, come on, why don't he, he's he he's taking over he's one minute when the parents aren't looking? Smith carried to suffocate the kid and say he just died a cold death? She actually go back to his position. she saw this. Sarah saw this. She saw the jealousy, she saw the friction. She decides to throw him out of the house. Over the page, I, it, it leads to a very, very difficult question. If we, if we turn this sukkah into something contemporary, the question was asked of Rab Feinstein if you can throw a student out of a school. If a machaleh has the right to throw a student out of the school, more, more specifically, to throw a student out of yeshiva. Because the school is a bit different, right? School people go home every night. Yeshiva, they're living together. And there's an atmosphere. And he was asked the question. And we have a president for this, in this week's culture, right? Sarah threw Yishmael out of the house. Because he was a bad influence. So it's very interesting. He writes a very long Teshuvah, Rav Moshe Feinstein. I just want to give you some parts of the children. Learning Torah with kids isn't like learning geography or mathematics. Teachers teaching geography. He doesn't really care whether the child internalizes the rules of geography and how Different winds work and clouds work and rain and weather, and he doesn't really care. He needs the child to understand how geography works. Math is the same thing. <laughs> and when a teacher is teaching Torah, the point is that the person understands. Oh. Person understands the depth of what is being learned. And the child knows that this is, this is the essence of life. Odika, I skipped a lot of paragraphs. However hard it may be that a teacher doesn't despair when he sees the students aren't mature enough to learn. They're just not mature. They're not up to it. But he shouldn't despair. It's very easy to despair. Even when the student is rude, he's blatantly rude, insulting. (laughs) Listen to this sentence. The fact that Red Moesha brings here is that what should be the judgment here, which is exactly the story in Sarah, Mishnah, and Yisra, is whether that person is influencing other people badly or not. The duty of the educator is to look after everyone. So if there's one person or two people who are damaging the ability of other people to learn, then he has every right to remove them. they're damaging the atmosphere, they're damaging the environment. But if they're not... If they're just not doing anything, wasting their own time, then he says you have to stay with him. Maybe he'll listen. Maybe it will work out. The very interesting sukkah that that, that, that Rafi Obaja speaks even more strictly about this about the cheshponot that have to You can see the allusion here to the story here of Ishmael. The problem with Ishmael was the influence. It's not the problem whether Ishmael himself is, is able, whether Ishmael is doing what he has to be doing. The question is if it's going to influence Yitzchak. If it's going to influence Yitzchak, you have to look out for Yitzchak. Same so in every school. You have to look out for the students who deserve your attention and not simply keep backing the people who don't belong, who can't do it. If they don't belong and can't do it, they shouldn't leave it if they're influencing other people. I want to speak about uh, two other issues. One issue is the date today, which is being remembered in Israel. Because on this day in uh, 1995, at the end of a peace rally, a yeshiva student called Yigol Amir pulled out a gun and he shot the Prime Minister of Israel dead, Yitzhak Rabin. And uh, in Israel this is a day which is, uh, has to be remembered. Over the years it's become very politicized and, and adopted by the left in order to maybe uh, get more political points against the right. But it really has nothing to do with the left and the right. The partial we're talking about here is that that the people came back to Israel after a holocaust and managed to build a country. And then a Jew picked up a gun and shot another Jew. And one of the most serious issues that arose from that was that the front people didn't say anything. There, there was no critique of what happened. Maybe because they didn't like Yitzhak Rabin, they didn't want him dead. And I feel that it's very, very important, even if you're an ant in the system, which I am, that people understand that this is not okay. It's not okay for a Jew to kill another Jew. It's not a it's murder it's the biggest fear for a, a Jew to kill another Jew. Even if they don't agree with you. People don't agree with you. You learn to tolerate them and talk to them and rash our issues. Don't shoot them. In the name of God. That's how far this went. In the name of God. This man who's sitting in jail for the rest of his life still believes to this day that he did a mitzvah. He still believes that he did a mitzvah. It was his job to get rid of this Rabin, who was a rabshah, and he was going to give back land, and he had also agreements, and uh, yada yada yada. and it was a mitzvah to kill this man. And it should be ringing alarm bells for us if a Jew is sitting in Yeshiva and he thinks it's a mitzvah to murder someone. And it's not what we're educating towards, it's not, it's not what we're meant to be. So then we should remember, It doesn't matter what people have done with the politics, it's not relevant. I remember on that day, that I took all of the girls to the funeral. We all went to the funeral. I got a letter from a parent telling me that uh, going to the funeral is a political statement. A parent lives in America, I live in the West Bank, right? He lives in America, he's telling me I'm making a political statement. So I wrote back to the parent and I said, not going is a political statement, actually. And the Jew has been killed, and, and people with hold, and people who study in Midrashot and Yeshivot should be at the funeral to show that they don't agree with that, that's not right, that's not the way to behave. To, to not tolerate other people is not the way to behave. And to not accept other people for what they are is not the way to behave, and to shoot them is not the way to behave. And so I think it's important to, to remember on this day it was a terrible day. I remember. I remember that when I, I flew to America a week later, and people were shouting in the airport because of the coup There was such friction in the country, on the, on the brink of civil war. I don't know whether you know anything about this. whether you ever learned anything about this? What led up to this? What happened here? And this Rabbi was a was a in Israel, He was a Ramat Khan, He was a chief of staff. He was a prime minister. A Jew shot him, it's like, it's like a, a Jew killing. We went into Korban because of Song Gitani. We have a fast day because of Song Gitani. Because a Jew killed a Jew. It's something that works on, on all levels. It works on the levels of in, in our rooms, it works in the streets, it works with wearing masks, it, it, it works in, in every place of being aware of the existence of other people and the needs of other people. It's a value. Father, someone uh, can be ridiculed just because they're not keeping it's or they don't do something that the Torah says or because we say it in Yiddish, it's okay, right? So we can call someone a very derogatory name in a black person, a derogatory name in in Yiddish because we said it in Yiddish so it's okay because I said it in Yiddish and I can call a non-Jewish woman a shiksa because I said it in Yiddish and it's okay, that's the most disgusting word but I can say it and I can call a black man a name in Yiddish because I said it in Yiddish and I can make rude jokes using the Gemara because it's in the Gemara This isn't Judaism, this isn't Judaism, we don't have the right to tread on people and push people out just because we're from and they're not, and and, and we think we know and they don't. This isn't a Jewish value. It's not a Jewish value to to use violence to, to prove a point, it's not a Jewish value, it never has been. We're the people of the book. We resort to defending ourselves when we're attacked. We have an army which is called the Israeli Defense Force. That's the name of our army, the Israeli defense force. It's to defend, it's not to attack. We're not an attacking people, we're people who are This this is who we are. And for for us to reach a, a, a time in our life where a man will stand up in the name of God to kill another person. someone else died on this day. I'm, I'm sure you probably don't know who he was. You might know because his mother used to do the uh, tours of America and uh, Europe and Africa and Australia. Nakshan Baxman. You ever heard of Nakshan Baxman? Mrs. Baxman used to go around schools. Nakshan Baxman was a soldier who was kidnapped by the Hamas. On his way home, on his way back to his base on a Sunday morning, it's quite a famous story because Hamas filmed him when he was in prison, and they gave an ultimatum to the Israeli government that if they didn't release a certain amount of Hamas prisoners by Friday night, they were going to kill him. And they filmed him on television, begging for his life. Everyone saw it; the whole world saw it. I've no doubts so you can find it on YouTube. I remember it very clearly. And I remember on that Friday afternoon, this was a year before his brother was killed, I remember on that Friday afternoon we got a message in Yeshiva that everyone should pray for That's when something big is going to happen. And on that night, on that Friday night, the Israeli army had found out where he was and they burst into the, the place where he was being held prisoner. He was being held prisoner behind iron doors. So when the terrorists heard the army coming, they shot him straight away. The army broke in, they killed the terrorists. One soldier was killed as well. And uh, Marshal Maxman died. He died. It was a very personal story because the opposite of what happened a year later, on that Friday night, before anyone knew what was going to happen, they asked that everyone, wherever they were, go and govern. It was a winter night. It was a... Because the Hebrew year and, and the English year are different times. So it was already Shalom Choreth. It was already early Shabbos. So everyone had Friday night meal. And then everyone went back to shul. Everyone went back to shul Friday night, to Dublin, for the national about the time that this Mifsah was taking place. It was an incredible sign of unity. I'm told, I wasn't at the Kotel. I'm told the Kotel was the most incredible thing. Everyone was at the Kotel. So we went to our shul, everyone went to their shuls, to say Tehilim on a Friday night. Never ever had that in all, in all my years in Israel, 32 years. And never, never seen that before. It was a sign of incredible akdu. I want to tell you something. In, in the week of the Al-Qaeda, the father who passed away a few months ago, on Motzei Shabbos at the funeral of, of Nachum. So in Israel, everything becomes very, very personal. And the press stuck a stuck a microphone in the father's face. I don't know why they did it, but you can probably find this on YouTube as well, though it's in Hebrew. Because all week the father had been asking people to dub it and dub it and dub. It. And then the, the, the man from the press asked him, that the, the prayers didn't work. That's what he says to the father. He's just buried his son. The prayers didn't work. So the father takes the microphone, and he says, you know, and this is a father who's just buried his child. And he said, you know, children ask their parents for things all the time. Sometimes their parents say yes. And sometimes their parents say no. And this time, God said no. Unbelievable. A minute, a minute of they met. And a minute of they met. That's what the Father said. That I blew me away. I, re- I, re- I remember the camera. I remember seeing, me, hearing him say, wow. Oh wow. So I want to say one, one final thing to you because as we reach the end of Parashat Vayera, Avram is, is slowly but surely coming out of the picture, right? When we go into Chai Sarah, Avram's in the picture, but it's really burying Sarah, the Shidduch of Yitzchak, and Avram is, is the main star, Lech Lecha Vayera. I want you to notice something very, very important, at least important to me. Avram was introduced to us at the end of Parashat Noach, and all of you know that Midrash, and I told you that Midrash last week, how Abram became a believer. Avram became a believer right when he smashed his father's stones, and how could these possibly be gods? And through rationale, everything, everything indicated in the Midrashim that introduces to Abram at the beginning of Lech Lecha, at the end of Noah, it's meet Balabira, that, that was trying, he was struggling with the reality of life. Who is God? Well, look, what is God? And, and, and not idols. He was searching for God. And he arrived at God through rational thought. That's the Avram that we meet in Lecha. Who is the Avram we see at the end of Parsha Bayera? Who is the Avram? There's no rationale in Avram's religion at the end of Abed, Abed, Bayera at all. God promised Avram for years he was going to have a son. And then he said, ki be Yitzhak, ki l'chazara. He said, I, no, Not any son. Yitzchak is going to be the future of the Jewish people. And then one fine day, Avram gets up and, and God says, Go Shekhti. Go Shekhti. Where's the rationale? Where's the rationale in that? Go kill your son. This was paganic. This was everything that Avram yeah, didn't believe. in. he was being told not just to kill his son, but to be a pagan, to do an idolatrous act, everything he's spoken about, all of his life, everything Avram was asked to do at the end of Pasha Vayera is a contradiction. It's, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Weigh that up and see what the definition of the Jewish people is, of what our belief is. Avram is Avram Ha'ivri. We are Hebrews. We are the descendants of Avram Avinu. Our religion is made up of two parts. Our religion is made up of rationale, of thinking, of trying to understand, of working, thrashing through Tzvarim, trying to work out the emed, trying to understand what's going on. We're always asked, ask, 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 And then there's the Abraham Avinu of the Bayera. The people who walk saying Shema with babes in their arms to be shot by SS officers. Saying Saying Shema, saying Shema, saying Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. You have the Jew in the base of Midrash. The Jew is sitting and learning and trying to work things out. The rationale, that Abram Avinu Jew. But that's not the complete Jew. You have the Bayera Jew. The Jew is Moser Nefesh. I don't know. I just don't know. I don't understand. Am I not Of course I'm going to do it. Of course I'm going to do it. I don't understand. I don't understand. I'm not prepared. I've been discussing the Holocaust since I was 16 years old. I will never speak about God in the Holocaust because I don't understand, so I won't speak about it. I don't understand. Kamalu. He's God and I'm a human being and I can discuss. There's no answer that I can give without desecrating the dead, desecrating the living, desecrating God. There's nothing I can say. We have Avraham Avinu in Lech Lecha, where we study and we learn and we try to understand and understand and understand we have the Avraham Avinu in Vayena, and sometimes we don't understand. And this is most beautifully reflected by a prayer we say in Israel every day. Every single day in Israel and on Shabbos in Chutzla. as we say, En kenokeinu, en kadoneinu, en kemalkeinu, ken Have you ever stopped to think? Have you ever said it? Have you ever stopped to think what that means? There's no one like my God. Who is like my God? So shouldn't I say it the other way around? Who is like my God? There is no one like my God. No. That's exactly the point. There is no one like my God. Now ask away. Ask away. Ask as many questions as you like. But remember, there is no one like my God. And then ask whatever you want. Because we're just human beings. And the question always is, if I don't understand doesn't mean it's not true. So well, I'll ask as many questions and I'll search for many answers. If I can't find an answer, there's no alarm. And that's, that's what you do when you combine lech lecha and vayeva. the climax of Abraham. Abraham can't be Abraham without lech lecha. He can't be Abraham without the rationale. You have to do the learning. You have to do the logical thought and the, and the questioning. That has to be there. But the, the, the blind faith has to be there too. The Enkelokeim that has the, 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 that's what the Arcada stands for. He's been there, It stood there, he didn't even kill his son, right? The Chebra in Poland, they, they, they watched their children die. They watched their children die. Let me tell you a story of what happened in Tarnow? Listen to this about, listen to this came that happened in Tarnow. I'm sure Jeremy told you this MTA in Tarnow, but I know you were running late, it was at nighttime, right? But there's a woman walking with two children in the streets of Tarnow. She has two children in both her hands. A German jeep drives up, stops in front of her, takes both of the children and drives off. She runs after, this is testified, she runs after the jeep, screaming, give me back my children. The SS jeep stops. He opens the back of the jeep, he says, choose one. That's what he says, choose one. in your life a situation like that choose one she's got both children screaming to her they're old enough to understand what he's just said both begging for their lives So mother looking at two children she chose one so she chose one and she carried on with can you explain it? No. Ever? Ever. That's who we are, that's what we do. It's Ask any question you want. But if you don't get the right answer, I promise you, you won't always get the right answer. there's no one like that is the climax of the Aqeda. That's what the Aqeda represents. And that's what the complex figurehead of Abraham represents. That he is on the one hand, he's on the one hand a, a rational, thinking, intellectual person. But on the other hand, he isn't too intellectual to think that he is God himself. And he understands more of the world than God. But he can even question God. We've seen some very important things. We've seen some fundamentals in education and, and ideology. I spoke a bit about Yitzhak Rabi, about the way we need to behave as religious people specifically, our, our, our religiosity should be reflected in our behavior. And this end piece about, about Abraham, and that Nefesh, which is Naqshonbatsu's father, right? He like, just buried his son. He said, sometimes our father doesn't do what we want. Easy to say in shit. Much harder to say in reality. Okay, stop.